Let us pray. Gracious Father, reveal Yourself this day. Enlighten our hearts and our minds. Lead and guide us nearer to Yourself. And cause Your Word to grow up in us into the great salvation that You have given to us in Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to Him more deeply this day. And open us more deeply to all the work that You are doing on our behalf through this very Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen. One of the things about so many of these parables of Jesus is that they remind me of what I am not very quickly. In these parables, Jesus is talking about being a gardener, being a farmer. He talks about being a woman who is making bread in the kitchen. And not just a single loaf of bread, but when we get there, you'll notice that it says that it's a huge amount. It is three measures, it says, which is a massive amount. Almost a bushel of dough is being turned into bread. And so this is someone making a huge amount of bread, something I can't imagine doing. He speaks of fishermen going out on the great ocean to catch to catch fish and to bring them in. I don't know how to do much of any of those things. I'm not a great farmer. I'm not a great gardener. I'm not a great baker. I'm not really that great at fishing. But the beauty of the parables is you don't have to know how to do those things to draw from these parables, to draw from these little vignettes, these little stories that Jesus has created for us. Because these parables aren't so much about what is happening in the parable as about just simply one main idea that is coming out to us, that is being opened up and revealed to our eyes, to our ears, to our minds, to our hearts. The parables are not allegories. There's a difference there. A parable has generally one main idea. And some pieces of the parable might have some relations to other parts of life, but it's really the main idea that you have to get that you're drawing out of the parable. An allegory is a story where every element relates to something in real life. Maybe not every element, but most of the elements of the story come back to relate to real life. Oftentimes we tend to allegorize stories We take a story, say, Jesus calming the seas. And instead of talking about the actual event, we start talking about the rough waters of our lives. We turn the literal sea that Jesus is literally calming into a metaphor about our rough lives and how Jesus speaks a word to calm it. That's allegorizing something. Especially it is allegorizing when you ignore the truth of the reality of what is happening, of the real event. Now it can be an application to speak of Jesus calming our seas, the seas of our lives. We can bring out that application of how a rough sea can be reflective of the roughness of our lives. That's not allegorizing. That's drawing an application out of it. It's a very fine line between those applications that we make to our lives from narratives that we hear and just completely wrecking the narratives by turning it all into 
little spiritual vignettes, little allegories, little relationships that is supposed to signify and forget about the actual real story. But parables aren't like that. Parables bring forth one big idea to us. And today we have five parables bringing a bunch of big ideas to us. But thankfully, they kind of work out into three sets. We had the first two I read about the mustard seed and the leaven. Then the next two about the great treasure and the pearl of great price. And then lastly, the parable of the dragnet. All of these parables, though, are teaching us a major idea. They're teaching us that Christ has made us His own that we might in turn make Him our own. These parables today are especially teaching us that Christ has made us His own, that He has laid hold of us so that we might make Him our own, that we might respond to the work He is doing, to His laying hold of us, we in turn lay hold of Him. And the first way that we see this is in the insignificance of the kingdom, in the tininess of the beginnings of the kingdom. That despite that tininess, he still lays hold of his own to draw them to himself. There in verse 31 of chapter 13, he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a tiny little grain of seed that this man took and sowed in his field. And he said it's the smallest of seeds. Now Jesus is speaking proverbially here, hyperbolically. It's not literally the tiniest seed that's ever been discovered in the world. Now, most certainly there in the ancient Near East, it was one of the smallest seeds that existed. There were others, though, that I believe that may have been slightly smaller. But the point being that it was small and insignificant of little value. You could be utterly indifferent to it and not even notice that it was there. It was easy to ignore. However, once it was planted in the ground, it, he says, grows into a great tree that's larger than all of the other garden plants. So large and so strong and so firm is this plant that birds can come and nest in it. In fact, multiple commentaries I read refer to the branches being strong enough that a human man, a full-grown man, could even sit in its branches sometimes. This mustard that was sown there during those times in the ancient world and even up through today is very different from what we have here in the West. Ours is just leaves that grow up out of the ground, maybe a little plant with lots of leaves. We don't have 10 or 15 foot tall mustard plants here. But there it was a literal literal giant of a garden vegetable, of a garden plant that came from the tiniest of seeds. So there's an insignificance to that kingdom that suddenly bursts forth that everyone can see. And in seeing that, everyone is drawn to it. People are drawn into the branches for rest. They're drawn into His branches to make their homes. They're drawn out of the world all around them to come and rest in this tree. And likewise, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till all was leavened. Like I said earlier, three measures of flour is basically a bushel of flour. So you know those big barrels that people get, a big bushel of dough. And this woman is taking a little bit of yeast and she mixes it in and she rolls it and she kneads it all together until she takes that 
lump of dough and it begins rising. It begins growing and expanding, preparing it to be cooked, to be baked over the fire where it will be brought to completion, being made into bread. And the kingdom of heaven is like that, like that leaven placed in dough that expands and turns it into something new. So we have two pictures of the insignificance working of the kingdom of how it goes from being tiny, ignorable, into great and glorious something. And it reminds us of how Jesus is to work in us. That His kingdom is being planted in our hearts. But it is a kingdom that will grow and expand because He is that kingdom. He is that mustard seed. He is that tree that has grown up to draw us to find our rest in Him. And we will find our rest in Him when we trust, when we have faith, when we look to Him on the cross for us. Having died for our sins, we are caught up and drawn to Him. And likewise, that leaven is being worked into us. Jesus is the leaven. He is being worked into us. We are being kneaded and made into a great and glorious loaf of bread that will feed the world because Christ has fed us and we are united to Him. And He draws the world to come and feed in His kingdom, to come and be a part of His kingdom because He is the leaven that expands the kingdom, that grows the kingdom, that changes the kingdom into what it is, that renews hearts and minds to come under the authority of God, the Creator and Redeemer of all things. And so though that seed is insignificant, though that leaven seems so insignificant, that yeast seems so insignificant, nonetheless, it causes great change. Jesus was so often viewed insignificantly there in His own day. He was rejected. He was despised. He was hated. He was ignored. But He was that tiny seed planted and sown in the ground that would become that tree. He was that tiny bit of yeast worked and kneaded into that dough that would cause it to rise. Though He seemed insignificant, He is what makes the kingdom so great. For it is out of that insignificance that the kingdom can finally be seen for the glorious character that it has. For out of that seemingly insignificant life of Jesus comes His death and His resurrection. That comes Him being put to death on behalf of the world for the sins of the world in order that He could then be raised, those sins being dealt with in His own flesh. That the kingdom would then blow up and expand in Him. And that is what we are to draw from this, I think, ultimately, is that Jesus, though seemingly insignificant, is great and glorious. And in that insignificance, He lays hold of us and makes us His own. That we then would see that He is not in fact insignificant, but that He is great and glorious and a Redeemer who has taken away our sins and that we would make Him our our own as He has made us His own. And from from those set of parables about insignificance, we move to another set of parables. The parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. And these, I think, reveal to us something of the discovery of the kingdom, the finding of the kingdom, the laying hold of the kingdom. But I want us to shift our perspective a little bit this day as we hear what Jesus is saying to hear what we don't usually hear. Often we jump with these kinds of parables about 
finding a treasure in the field or finding that pearl of great price to being about us finding those items. We see it primarily about us, and that has been most of the history of interpretation on these parables, that it is all about us discovering something and selling everything we have in order to purchase that good thing. But I want us to take a moment and hear a different side to this. That the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Earlier I said something about the parables being about Jesus. That these are about Christ making us His own. That we then might make Him our own. And if these parables are about some mysterious way of Christ making His own, then this parable is about Him. That the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field that a man found and covered up. And then he sells everything so that he can buy that field, so that he can lay hold of that field that has that hidden treasure in it. That man is Jesus Himself. He is the man who has discovered the treasure hidden in the field. And He goes and sells all that He has and buys that field. What does Jesus sell? What does He give away in order to receive that field? He lays down His own life. Likewise, with the pearl of great price, that merchant finds that one great pearl and he sells everything so that he can buy it. That Jesus discovers us in a mysterious way, you could say. That He sees the brokenness of humanity and yet He sees what humanity is supposed to be for He was the one who created humanity alongside His Father. He knows what human, human beings were intended to be and yet they are fallen though they were meant to be the treasure of God. They are meant to be His great possession that He reveals more and more as He then set aside one people, Israel, to be His treasured possession in all the earth, that out of Israel that salvation would then flow forth to bring about the kingdom. And here this man is Jesus who sees this kingdom, who sees this treasure in the field that's been hidden, who finds and is looking for this pearl of great price. And He lays down His life. He sacrifices His all. He leaves His heavenly abode and becomes a mere man. He becomes a babe swaddled in cloths and laid in a manger on the night of His birth. He forsakes His glory in heaven. He forsakes the glory that could be revealed to all humanity all at once. He lays that aside to become a man so that He can then die for our sins in order that He would lay hold of that treasure, that He would find that treasure that He had seen. That was His joy, because He knew what would come about at the end. That though He may lay down His whole life, He knows that He will be raised and bring salvation to all who turn to Him. Though He dies for our sins, He will be resurrected by the Father. And through that resurrection... Salvation will pour out to the ends of the earth. For He will do that which no one had done before, to die for the sins of the world, and then in turn be raised back to life, to sell all that He has so that He can purchase for us redemption and give it to us, and pour out salvation upon us. I think it's helpful to keep us anchored here. To hear this side of the kingdom. To hear this side of the parable about it being about Jesus. That He is the center. 
So that then we see why the church, I think, is so quick to jump to it being about us discovering that treasure, us hunting and looking for that great and glorious pearl. Because that is our response, that as Christ has made us His own, He made us a treasure. We likewise see Christ as that true treasure. We see Christ as that pearl of great price for us. And in seeing the gloriousness of that treasure, the beauties of that pearl, we cast aside everything. We lay down everything. We surrender our lives and let that treasure become ours. For joy, we lay hold of that treasure that is Christ because He first laid hold of us as His treasure. He wanted us to be His treasure, to be His treasured possession. And the reason I think that it's important for us to see that first it starts with Christ laying hold of us as a treasure. It's because throughout the Old Testament, that is what Israel is to the Father. In Psalm 135, the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. And likewise, in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, the Lord says, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. And again, in Deuteronomy 7, 6, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession. And that this carries over to us. It's not just for Israel, but it is for us as well. As we are united to Christ. In 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. That first and foremost it is about Christ laying hold of this treasure. It is about Christ searching for this fine pearl and laying hold of it and making it His own through His death and resurrection. Such a sweetness that we have overlooked for so long. That it's not so much about us doing everything we can to get to the kingdom, but it's about Christ having done everything for us so that we could be the kingdom so that we could be in Christ who is the fullness of that kingdom. I think that it helps us to then receive that aspect of how we respond. That we see the glories of who Christ is. We see the joy of the work that Christ has done for us. That He laid down His life on our behalf. And so we, in turn, make Christ our own because we have been made His own. And that is the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price that we are that treasure. We are that pearl. And when Christ lays hold of us to make us His own mysteriously, He then for us becomes that treasure and pearl that we too want to lay hold of. For He makes us His own that we would be, that we would then make Him our own. And now seeing that that insignificance becomes a great significance for us of Jesus and that that Discovery of the kingdom is as much about Jesus laying hold of us as it is us laying hold of Him. We have this final parable this day. The capturing of the kingdom. There in verse 47 of chapter 13, Jesus continues, The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When Jesus looked at His disciples and said, I will make you fishers of men, this is the kind of fishing that they did. They didn't go out with a rod and reel and try to catch one fish at a time. They were throwing out huge nets into the water. 
that then they would capture up and pull back up. And in that pulling it back up, they would catch all kinds of fish. In this particular case, a dragnet is a certain kind of net. It's one that's thrown out behind the boat and it just drags behind the boat and just captures everything that it can. And then they pull it up onto the boat. And here in this story, the men go ashore and they separate the good from the bad. The fish that are good for eating from the fish that aren't good. But also, all the other stuff that gets mixed in. When a dragnet is just dragging along, it's grabbing plants and trash and junk that is just on the, in the ocean, in the water. And so they're separating all that stuff out too. And so, we have to step back and ask, what is this net? Who is this one that is gathering every kind of fish in the sea? Well, it's Jesus. Again, He is the center of the parable. Jesus is the dragnet who captures each and every kind of fish, who gathers all kinds of fish to Himself. The net is dragged through that water and fish are caught in it. Fish remain in it. Fish are trapped in it, you might say. But it's a glorious thing for this net to be capturing us because without that capturing in the net, we wouldn't become part of the kingdom. We wouldn't be caught up in the kingdom because we are the fish. We are the ones who are caught and dragged along in the kingdom. And I like that picture. That it's Jesus dragging us along through the kingdom that He is causing the kingdom to grow and expand and we just happen to get carried along in the wake of that expansion. He lays hold of our hearts by being that net that just simply captures any and all the fish around so that they too can be dragged along. And we are just simply caught in that net, going along for the ride, you might say. But it's all moving toward a final conclusion. That net will be dragged out of the water and those fish will be carried to the shore. And as Jesus says, that is the end of the age when that net is removed and His angels will separate the good from the evil. But between now and then, we are just simply caught in that net. And we are called to remain in that net, to not try to resist, to not try to escape, but just simply to be in that net. And to know that Jesus has made us His own by putting us in that net, by wrapping that net around us, so that we can lay hold of Jesus, that we might make Him our own. And as we have been made Jesus' own and are remaining in that net, we get our part We have a small part, you could say, in helping other fish to receive being in that net. That we help others know the work of that net who is Jesus. To know that that net is bringing us into the kingdom, that it is carrying us into the kingdom because Jesus has bought us for Himself. He has redeemed us from our sins and is removing us from the wicked world that we have been a part of. He is calling us to Himself by putting us in that net. And so in a mysterious way, we call the other fish in that net to remain in that net. We call forth faith out of them by telling them of what that net has done for us. That it seems that it is limiting us, but ultimately in the end, we will be free and glorified at the end of the age. But that which is not useful, that which is not trusted in Christ, those who may have been caught in that net who don't believe, who refuse faith, Jesus says they will be cast out into the fiery furnace. They will be separated. All that is evil, all that is wicked will be separated from God's people. And you notice that He doesn't take His people away. 
He takes that which is evil away from His people. Because that is what the kingdom is. The kingdom grows and fills this earth mysteriously and hiddenly. And in the end, all that is wicked and evil will be cast off of the earth and put into that fiery furnace. And the earth will be fully renewed and made and remade into a greater thing than it ever has been. That regardless of whatever glories the earth had before it fell, before the fall of Adam and Eve, the glories of the new creation will be infinitely greater and better. For it will come to the place of completion. It will come to the place of fulfillment. It will come to that place of the God-man. The God who entered creation and now carries creation in Himself. Humanity born into heaven before the Father. And all that is wicked will be separated from God's people. For we are called to find our rest in that dragnet. We are called to find our rest in that man who laid hold of that great treasure. That man who sold everything after searching for that great pearl. We are to find our rest in that mustard tree. To know that we are in the kingdom by being in that mustard tree. We are to find rest in the fact that that yeast who is Jesus has been worked into us and that He is being worked into us every single week. That we are being fed by Him over and over and made new by Him. And that we can find our rest in Him. And I conclude simply with these words from the book of Romans that we heard this day. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? We find our rest in Christ alone who has united Himself to us, who has made us His own, that we would respond like Paul here. Well, who is to condemn us? If Christ has made us His own, then we are to make Him our own. We lay hold of Him because He has not been spared. We receive Him because He first received us and made us His own. He made us His elect by dying and rising for us. And even now, He is interceding for us at the right hand of God. So who can stand against us who have been made Christ? Who walk that path of being made Christ through faith and trust? And so may we cry out with Paul and with thanksgiving that Christ is for us. That God Himself is for us in Christ because Christ made us His own. And in our rejoicing in what Christ has done for us, we are making Christ our own. In the name of the Father and the Son, in the Holy Spirit. Amen.